my UK fans. This is Joe Pilato, a.k.a. Captain Rose from Day of the Dead. I've got a gun pointed to your head, you boss fox. And if you don't listen to Gentleman's Grindhouse, I'll find you. I know where you fucking live. I'm in the cave, but I'm still alive. Hello everyone, this is Tom with a short impromptu recording because uh, within the last hour I read that Joe Pilato has died and obviously we as horror fans know that Joe Pilato played Captain Rhodes in Day of the Dead. Now Chris and I will on occasion, you know, jump on board the Strange and Deadly show uh, to pay tribute to someone who has passed like George Romero and so on And we probably would have done again this time, but unfortunately I'm a bit pushed for time at the moment. So I'm just going to do something quick and dirty. And, you know, some people might question, well, why Joe Pilato, Captain Rhodes in Day of the Dead? Sure, he's iconic uh, in his own way, but but why him and not some of the other people who have passed away? Well, if anyone's been along for the ride with me as a kind of podcaster, if you like, um, back in, I would imagine, about 2010, uh, Arrow Video brought out the first Blu-ray of Day of the Dead. At the time, I was reviewing horror DVDs for a website, and and the PR company who was organising, you know, the screeners and so on, contacted me and said, do you want to interview Joe Pilato? Now, I hadn't interviewed anyone in person before. I think I'd interviewed Barbie Wilde by email. So I'd never actually spoken to someone and did an interview. But it was an opportunity that I was going to pass up. So I said yes. I did my homework, done my research as best I could. And then sat there nervously waiting to speak to Joe Pilato. And from the moment he picked up the phone, he was just a dream. You know, he was very gracious with his time. He was happy to talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. And he was strangely quite interested in me. You know, I have I have the original raw recording of that conversation and a lot of it, he's asking about me. He's asking, you know, what I do about Liverpool, where I live, and a, a bit of that's on the actual recording that I'm going to play for you in a minute. Um, and... You know, it wasn't so much me interviewing him, it was him interviewing me half the time. So it was just, you know, a really, really nice experience. And I remember doing it and sitting down afterwards with a huge smile on my face because, you know, I had met famous people before, I had met people I admired before, but it had always been the kind of, you know, hi, how are you, could you sign this, that kind of interaction. So to get this prolonged interaction with Joe and to find him to be just the most lovely man um you know it was huge and and I just sat there with a, a massive smile on my face so happy that I'd got to do it now if you have that blu-ray the arrow video blu-ray of um day of the dead there's a long interview with him on there and you see stills of him early on in his career as this very vital young energetic actor and you know much as we love day of the dead i think in a lot of ways 
it probably killed his career. Let's not make any bones about it. He wasn't well reviewed in that movie. A lot of people um, make a lot about his chewing the scenery and so on. And I'm going to play that interview for you in a moment. And I think he mentions it too. So really speaking, it, it took this vital, you know, energetic young actor and, and it kind of ruined his career in a way. And again, on that original recording, there's parts of it which don't make it into the final cut of the interview um, where he is, he, he laments the fact that his life isn't really where he hoped it would be. Um, so he just took what he could and, and worked as much as he could, you know, in whatever way possible. But I think the the lovely thing that, that came out of that, instead of resenting Day of the Dead and what it had probably done to his career, he really just embraced the fans, you know. He embraced the fans and the love that they had for him because while maybe things hadn't gone as he had hoped, people still had this amazing love for him. And, you know, I'm going to play that interview for you in a moment. And you'll still hear how intelligent he is, what kind of points of view he has on things. And, you know, just a great guy, just a great guy. And and there's a point in the interview that you will hear where he he stops and says, you know, I, I really enjoy the repartee. I, I really enjoy this conversation. If, if you ever make it over, man, I'd love to sit and have a pint of Guinness with you. And, you know, for nervous young me sitting there speaking to Joe Pilato, it was just the best thing ever, you know. And if I ever did get the chance to have that Guinness with him, what I would have done is thanked him for the opportunities that doing that interview actually gave me afterwards. You know, he'd probably done a load of interviews that weekend, but he just he was just still so happy to talk to me. Um, and, it, you know, he, he stayed on the phone for well over an hour. But, you know, that interview, I put it out on, on the show I was doing at the time, The Gentleman's Grindhouse, and it also got used in the first edition of Scream magazine, which is still going out there. And, you know, it, it opened doors to, to have that there. And I ended up speaking to a lot more people. I've interviewed, you know, some of my horror heroes, in the horror world and you know had some great experiences from it and it gave me the confidence to speak to those people because it'd been such a positive experience with joe so you know if we ever did get to have that pint of guinness that's what i would have said to him and unfortunately we never did i always hoped that maybe he would come to a convention over here but the scene over here isn't like it is in the states and i don't get to the states so so that's the way it goes, you know, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm genuinely sad and I know celebrities die and we say how sad we are and so on. And, and I'm not saying that the feeling isn't genuine, um, those other times, but I think especially on this occasion, because that interaction definitely changed things for me, um, in terms of what I was able to do as a result of it. Much as I've done some great interviews since, that one, this one with Joe, it's still up there. And it's up there because of him, not because of me, but because of him, how gracious he was with his time, how enthusiastic he still was. So, you know, rest in peace, Joe. Rest in peace. 
I'm sorry I never got to have that Guinness with you. Next opportunity I get, I'm going to have one for you, man. So uh, let's have a listen to way back when I spoke to Joe Pilato. Hey, all right. Hi, Geek Planet. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing, Joe? I'm very good. I, I heard the phone. I was on the other line with my publicist. I was looking at the clock, and I said, look, I have to get off the phone because uh, the geeks are calling me. Oh, there you go. How are you? How's the weather there, man? Oh, uh, it's pretty cold today, Joe. It's pretty cold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How's things your end? You know, I'm in California, man, and, uh, and, and <laughs> nothing nothing changes here. It's the blandest fucking, uh, <laughs> you know, I in November, I was in London, uh-huh. Dublin, Glasgow, Edinburgh. Unfortunately, it was a short trip, but okay. it was it was just wonderful just to be back in Europe. Where are you based out of, my friend? Well, I'm in Liverpool. Liverpool in the UK. Oh my God, the cavern. There you go. <laughs> what a great fucking city, man. Wow. Yeah, a lot going on in Liverpool these days. I bet there is. I do a show called The Gentleman's Grind House. I love it. What a great title. Have you been in, in contact with Quentin at all about that? No. He bought a theater, the Beverly Cinema, and he runs something called the Grindhouse series. I just saw him four weeks ago, and, and he may be enamored as I was just by listening to it, The Gentleman's Grindhouse. Okay, thank you, Joe. Four weeks ago, he ran uh, a trilogy of George's uh, Always Vanilla, The Crazies, and Day of the Dead. Nice. And the theater was packed for all three pictures. From what I understand, Quentin bought the theater because the the, the guy who owned the theater passed away, and his son was running it. Quentin just bought the fucking thing outright, and it's his playhouse. (laughs) Um, So uh, it's the Beverly Cinema Grindhouse series. Okay, thank you, Joe. Absolutely. Absolutely, my friend. Well, I've got some questions here. Um, Absolutely, man. Whatever, I'm here. Okay, um, a mixture of questions from me and some of the fans who uh, sent us some questions in for you. Okay. Okay. Uh, First question, um, we're, we're at an exciting time for fans of Day of the Dead at the moment. We've got this new Blu-ray release coming up. I saw this last night, Joe, and it's it blew me away, to be honest. Have you had a chance to see this yet? Actually, I have not, but I want to significantly thank Arrow Films for their effort, and I want thanks specifically, especially having, having been there for a, a very quick in the fall, mm-hmm. my UK fans. I understand the, the Blu-ray is really gorgeous, and uh-huh. the piece that Callum has put together is pretty fun because we had a lot of fun shooting it. Yeah. So I am anxiously awaiting a copy of the event. I'm glad that, that my fan base in the UK has an opportunity to revisit the film. And um, I'm just very happy to share the experience with my genre fans. I happen to believe personally that genre fans are normally underrated and it's been my experience that genre fans are the most intelligent Uh fans that are out there. In other words, they're not just autograph hounds. Uh, Uh They're just not photo op 
pounds. They come to the table with ideas. They come to the, the table with intelligent questions about filmmaking, mise-en-scene, filmography. They are a unique brand of people who I would choose to spend most of my time with as opposed to non-genre fans. Absolutely. Absolutely. The genre base is is uh, filmistically very, very. Um, there's the chimes of uh, Big Ben. <laughs> genre fans are just very, very, very uniquely, uniquely intelligent, you know, mm-hmm. and tattooed, tattooed beautifully. <laughs> I think your your respect for the fans and the the good time you had in the UK last year uh, really comes through on the Blu-ray as well. There's a couple of great documentaries on there, and I, I got to say, Joe, you, you you seem to really be able to work a room. Oh, I had. You know what? I had. Um, I had so much. The only thing that really sucked mm-hmm. was the jet lag factor. Okay. It was a three-city tour in four days. Uh-huh. So I basically, I mean, I'm in fucking Edinburgh, and I'm in a taxi, and we're driving by the castle. You know, the guy's going, there's the castle. And I'm going, uh, okay, how long can I get to the hotel? I need to sleep. <laughs> so I literally, I'm in all these beautiful cities, Dublin, Edinburgh, Glasgow. I had a beautiful train ride. I think that's in the film. I I, I don't know because I haven't seen what Callum has shot yet. Yeah, it's there. Just the pubs, the restaurants, the streets. And I was like, my God. And I've lived in Europe. I mean, uh, I, I lived a year in Denmark. I lived a year in Switzerland. In so many ways, it was so quick. But the mm-hmm. shows, all three of them, and the fan base was so fucking remarkable. I was basically exhilarated and uh, uh-huh. enthralled. The sophistication of the fans and the appreciation mm-hmm. of the fan base was remarkable. I mean, I was blown away in the midst of extreme jet lag and fatigue. You know, just being in the beauty of these different cities and and, and dealing dealing with the fans who mm-hmm. their generosity of spirit was just incredible. Well, we we got some questions from your fans, Joe. Well, I'm here to answer them. I'm good, here good. to answer my pus fox. <laughs> Well, the first one, Joe, obviously we'll be talking about Day of the Dead for a little bit today, but I think it'd be a shame to have you on the show and not talk about your earlier acting career, because some people may not realize what a classically trained actor you are, and you were starting out in a very kind of exciting, experimental time for acting. Could you tell us a little bit about your theatrical history? You know, my domain as a performing artist was heavily influenced by the work of constant Konstantin Stanislavski, and from Poland, a great man who passed away, actually passed away the same day my dear mother passed away, which is very strange, Jerzy Grotowski, you know, and I've worked with Joe Chaikin from the Living Theater, so my, my theatrical roots go back to the experimental days of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, I'm kind of a 
dinosaur. I really belong or should be in a communist or socialistic environment where uh-huh. the bread maker goes to work to make bread. And, and that's the significance of my European experiences. I see. Uh, I taught at the uh, State Theater School in Denmark. Wow. I've taught in Germany. I've taught in Switzerland where the stage actor is not so much considered a celebrity, mm-hmm. but the stage actor is just as important as the plumber or the mechanic. Mm-hmm. You know, one goes to the garage, one goes to the bakery, and one goes to the theater. Right. That's the kind of mentality that I have always, you know, kind of adhered to, which is very, very difficult in this country because it doesn't quite work that way. But, you know, my heart and my soul belongs to the theater. And when I say that, I have to include George Romero Mm -hmm. uh, right up there with Aeschylus, uh, Euripides, and Sophocles, great writers of of mythos uh, and great writers of compelling compelling stories the dark side yeah um and the and the thing that attracts people when you think of the Dionysian festivals people used to travel for days mm-hmm. on horseback to to go to the theater or the event and uh, I think that George has, has really captured in terms of the mythology of the zombie. Uh-huh. Even though, you know, we had we had in, in the late 40s some Hollywood voodoo, voodoo island, and things like that. But I think that George brought, as Aesop did, created a fabulistic world mm-hmm. that is on par with the Brothers Grimm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah my, my roots are significantly in the theater. Unfortunately, on this end, um, the theater doesn't pay quite much. But um, yeah, my, my heart and soul is in the Grotowski, Stanislavski, Meyerhold, mm-hmm. uh, Reinhardt, Peter Brook. Peter Brook, mm-hmm. especially theater space. Unfortunately, that time is gone. Uh-huh. That's where my heart and soul lies. That's where my inspiration uh, has come from for performing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. I hope that's not too uh, heady or ethereal for your fans. Not at all. We uh, there's more to Joe Palato than Day of the Dead, and uh, you know we we like to hear about this kind of thing. So that that's great. Great. Right. Another one of the listeners sent in a question. A listener named Chris. Hello, Chris. Thank you very much for your consideration and your appreciation. Chris wants to know, he read that you were actually a stand-in for Robert De Niro in The Deer Hunter, and he wants to know what did that involve and, and was that a memorable experience for you? It was an incredible, an incredible... I used to bring coffee to Merrill Street, to mm-hmm. John Casal, to um, Robert De Niro. I was living in Pittsburgh at the time, working as an actor, and mm-hmm. they were shooting around the, the Pittsburgh area, Weirton, West Virginia. There was actually really nothing in the script. 
they they held vocal auditions, but there was basically nothing in the script for me. But I knew that it was something I wanted to be involved in. So I actually started out as an extra and then just worked my way. I, I mean, I remember it distinctly. There was a scene that was being shot and it was supposed to be uh, wintertime. Yeah. But all the awnings were down on the building mm-hmm. to prevent the sun from coming in the window. And I pointed out to the uh, first AD, his name was Charlie Oaken. I said, as a, a young up, upstart kind of rebel, you know, I, I said, it does. It makes no sense that the awnings are down. It's it's wintertime. The awnings are up at wintertime and the awnings are down at summertime. Uh-huh. And the whole production kind of came to uh, a minimal halt mm-hmm. as as they I watched the main street in Weirton, uh, West Virginia, as they pulled up all the awnings. So <laughs> I kind of worked my way up from an extra to a PA. PA, I worked myself up to being the wrangler for the actors, and and then uh, you know I got to uh, I got to the level of being a stand-in which is really a very unglorified position. But the, the beauty of it was that I, I got to watch the rehearsals, the wedding scene. I got to watch Vilga Sigismund light the cathedral. And I mean, it's still one of the most stunning memories of my life because wow. he walked into the, the cathedral uh, and he had a light meter around his neck but he never used it. He put his hands up and he, mm-hmm. he just, he looked at the light and then he gave the gaffers and the grips their direction of what he needed. Um, and we're standing uh-huh. in this magnificent cathedral and he's putting his palms up towards the light coming through the stained glass window. Yeah, that, that wedding scene's quite something. Could you tell us a little bit about that? In, in the wedding scene, I, I actually sat next to the bell ringer who was from Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. I mean, a professional bell ringer. I mean, (laughs) where the fuck do you meet a professional bell fucking (laughs) ringer? I mean, and this this was this guy's job. He rang the fucking bell. (laughs) And I'm sitting there with a swap box, and, you know, they're going, all right, let's go, take Pick one action bells, you know, I'm mm-hmm. going bells, and I'm I'm looking at the fucking guy, and he's pulling the fucking rope, and he's ringing the fucking bells, and I'm going, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, what a wonderful, wonderful experience, and it, and it, and it, and it certainly was because I got to watch the rehearsals. Uh-huh. I got to see Chimino interact with De Niro, John Savage, Meryl Streep, John Casal, uh, uh-huh. who actually grew up 15 minutes from where I was born, and his passing uh, was quick and short-lived. It was a remarkable experience. One cash 
value nothing but life experience, everything. Oh, it sounds like it, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Definitely, definitely. It's funny, I got the tube on with the sound off. Here's a a picture on, uh, let me see what the fuck the title of it is. (laughs) Oh, Appaloosa. There's Ed Harris. And I got to play opposite Ed Harris in uh, Night Riders. That's it, Night Riders, yeah. Yeah, I I had a very brief scene with him and this is before Ed Harris was Ed Harris Mm -hmm. and he was just a remarkable remarkable actor in fact I think Knight Riders is is probably one of George's most underrated films yeah Uh, yeah. that and the dark half Uh and monkey shines where he went out of the zombie genre and went into and went into other other realms Uh you know so that yeah that that's basically a side note to that conversation and who who asked that question Uh, that was chris chris brosnahan yeah chris thank you i hope i answered your question thank you for asking an astute and interesting question. I, I really wish that I could be over there and engage myself in an unlimited dialogue with my UK fans. Well, hopefully you'll get to come back soon, Joe. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Well, if we if we may move on to Day of the Dead now, if that's okay, Joe. Absolutely, man. So you're a young actor. You've been in a number of theatre productions and so on, and you end up getting the part of Rhodes in Day of the Dead. Now, this is a very important role. It's a big role for the movie, and if that role goes wrong, it's going to impact on the whole thing. Were you quite intimidated by that at the time? Uh, you know, Tom, it's very interesting. I was making my living as an actor in Pittsburgh in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. I was with a theater company that was subsidized. Again, this is why I go back to the concept of socialism mm-hmm. called the City Theater Company. And it, was, and it was subsidized by the city. I mean, I was a city employee. I went to work. I got paid for vacation days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had medical insurance. I was an actor. I got on the bus, you know, mm-hmm. with my lunch pail, and I went to fucking work as an actor. And it was a remarkable experience. Uh George, who his early career was shooting and editing for NFL football. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know how many people know that. I mean, that's, you know, that's where George made his bones uh, in a sense of quick shooting, fast editing. Of course, George had made Night of the Living Dead, and he had a high regard for local talent. Uh-huh. And he would basically audition in New York, Los Angeles, and Pittsburgh. Yeah. And I had I had done a, a low-budget project, which sat on the shelf for 20 years called Effect, okay. which was my introduction into the Pittsburgh film family. John Harrison, Pat Booba, Dusty Nelson, George Romero, Tom Savini. And I wasn't even supposed to have been in that film. I actually drove an actress who needed a ride to the audition. And mm-hmm. it was wintertime. It was freezing. I had this little Triumph Spitfire. You know, I, I can remember it like it was yesterday, you know, snow 
covered streets trying to find a parking space. And uh, I said, I'll wait in the car. And she said, no, no, don't wait in the car. Come on up, cold. And I, and I was like, okay. And I went up, and uh, apparently the person she was supposed to read opposite with didn't show up. Uh-huh. And I, I read opposite her. The director, Dusty Nelson, at that time said, this is the guy I want to play Dominic. For the fans out there, it's out there. It's on Dimensions. The title of the movie is Effect. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a wonderful sequel called After Effects, which is kind of a reunion of the cast twenty years later. But anyway, that is that was my introduction. Uh-huh. George was very supportive of the local acting community. So I'm one of the few actors, in fact, I think I'm the only actor that has appeared in three of George's films. I was uh, cast in Knight Riders. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was cast in Dawn of the Dead, thanks to Dario Argento's re-release of the box set my entire scene as the loading cop, which in the American release was cut, I mean, severely. Yeah. With time consideration. And then I went on to uh, Day, and I actually was was significantly blown a fucking way. <laughs> well, to go back to Dawn, originally I, I, I had a fly to New York because they were considering me for... David Emge's part as the helicopter pilot. And I remember the audition. They had four chairs. We were sitting in, you know, pretending it was a helicopter. And uh, because my size and stature is uh, so similar to uh, Scotty, they said, uh, yeah, you, yeah, everything's okay, but uh, we're not going with you with this, but we'll give you this. So they gave uh-huh. me the, the loading dock cop, which, uh, you know, it was fine. Work was work. But then, uh, and keep in mind the fact that, that when we were working on Dawn, yeah. nobody knew the impact. Nobody had a sense mm-hmm. as we do now, even though Knight, but even at that point, Knight now sits in the Museum of Modern Art. Yeah. Nobody kind of really knew what we were involved in, even when we were shooting day, because uh-huh. everybody knew that Dawn was, you know, wonderful, but we kind of got shortchanged originally, not anymore, thankfully. We mm-hmm. kind of got shortchanged because everybody was expecting another shopping mall, and uh, that's what they wanted. That's yeah. what made the time in Newsweek. That was you know, the kind of thing that made George not just a director, but a social commentary or mm-hmm. commentator, I should say. So when I was working very steadily as an actor yeah. in Pittsburgh, and, um, you know, there was a casting call for Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, George called me in, and, um, you know, I read for the role, and they were like, okay, fine, we're going to go to Los Angeles, we're going to to New York, and I think about three weeks later, you know, I can still remember it. Uh, to be gross, I almost shit my fucking pants. <laughs> you know, I got this call that said, "You're Captain Rhodes. You're playing Rhodes." Yeah. And yeah. you know, my, my and I was like, "Oh my god!" I was yeah. like, it wasn't like joyful. It was like. 
fuck, now I've got a huge fucking responsibility in front of me, and can I fucking handle it, you know? Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, you know, I did, but to think back on it so many years ago, it's a startling... Uh, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, I mean, I can I can see it. I mean, I can see it like it was a minute ago, getting the Uh phone call, you're going to play Captain Rhodes. And I can remember my first thought was was not joyful. Uh My first thought was, oh, my God. I got to rise to the fucking occasion, and the script—the script, of course, helped that. Absolutely, I'm very proud. You know, even though people have it's very funny when Siskel and Ebert originally promoted the or reviewed the film, they gave it a thumbs down, and I can remember sitting in my my apartment in Pittsburgh sobbing because oh. they had showed one of my scenes I think the, the Greek salad scene uh-huh. they were talking about over the top acting and it's come to my attention that over the years either one of them I can't remember which one is still alive Ebus, I think. Yeah. they completely changed their point of view on it you know it was a great character to play and George gave me wonderful license and I don't want people to think that it was an improv film. It was a very tightly structured film. This, uh-huh. uh, Rubenstein cut the budget, that cocksucker. He, and you can <laughs> put that, you can fucking put that on the fucking line. A motherfucker. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, originally, uh, if you read the, which is out there on the internet, if you read the original script, which mm-hmm. just had incredible outdoor shots of uh, wrangling zombies, helicopters through the fucking forest. Mm-hmm. You know, big budget shit. Uh, but not not that big for that time. We're talking about $7 million. He cut it down to uh, about $3.5 million, which actually, which is, I think why George says that it's his favorite of the trilogy, mm-hmm. um, the, the cutting of the budget created the isolation in the mind yeah. and where you had each character's point of view, the military point of view, the the medical point of view, the scientific Dr. Logan, Richard Liberty, God bless his soul. Mm-hmm. And then the kind of the voodoo Haitian uh, from uh, Terry Alexander's point of view yeah. where the limitation of budget created a sense of claustrophobia that yeah. was very, very very intense mm-hmm. and and George you know the line choke on him was completely as I said it was not an improv film mm-hmm. and I had two improv lines in the movie one was choke on him and one was pus fuck choke on him came on the last day of shooting the movie uh-huh. I was the last person to die. The other people uh, who died each kind of had a day to die because of the technical setup. Mine was the most complex. Yeah. We all know the story about the pig gut. I was watching that last night, Joe. Oh, were you watching the Blu-ray? Or? Well, I, I watched the movie on Blu-ray. I also checked out the documentary, and I think it's Tom Savini's footage where you do your scene, and then once the camera goes cut, and my, my heart went out to you because you can see on your face that... Oh, oh my God. I just thought I was going to 
die. <laughs> the spell, I mean, I sat in that fucking hole. It, it, I, the day I walked on the set, the uh, script supervisor, um, she was saying, hey, it's a good day to die. And I was like, yeah. Uh, I, I said, I need to talk to George. And they, she was like, well, he's a little busy right now. And I was like, no, I really need to talk to George. So they came into the green room. George came into the green room. And uh, I said, look, George, and here's this six foot four giant of a man uh, who, who is the most friendliest, friendliest, non-assuming person, humble and, and gracious and humorous. I said, look, George, I said, I don't think Rhodes is going to go down without saying something. And he was like, well, wait a minute, Joe. Your legs are being torn apart. Your torso is being ripped open. You know, you're being, you know, half, your legs are being drawn down a hallway. How the hell are you going to say anything? And I said, well, you know, I said, I really... I, I really don't know how the hell I'm going to say anything, but I'm going to say something. And these fucks aren't going to, I'm not going to get fucked by these people. <laughs> and he said, well, what do you think you would say? And I was kind of embarrassed because there were other people in the room and, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't want to. And so I said, well, let me, let me just tell you, can I kind of whisper in your ear? So, you know, this guy leans down. I mean, you know, I'm 5'8", he's 6'4". You know, and I whispered in his ear, choke on him. And he kind of stood, he kind of stood back and uh, looked at me and uh, he said, yeah, 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 go. And and that's the same, the same thing uh, if any of the fans out there look at the film, um, when Bob is chasing me down the hallway, um, I uh-huh. I slammed my head uh, into the wall. It was unintentional. I I mean I didn't plan it. Um, uh, I was I was crawling and I I, I just kind of I slammed my head and it really really it hurt really fucking bad. I almost broke the <laughs> fucking scene. But yeah. I, I I just found myself going, you fuck. You fuck, you motherfucking puss fuck. And, and they cut the scene, and, and the sound guy, you know, they were checking the gate for hair. And that back in the days, you checked the gate for hair. Yeah. And the sound guy goes to George, did he say puss fuck? And George <laughs> goes, yeah, yeah. And he goes, oh. And George goes, I, I like it. I want to keep it, keep it. So... Puss fuck and choke on them um, are mine. They're all yours. Thanks to the gratitude uh, of George. And the rest is all George. The rest is all George. Rhodes' uh, Rhodes' point of view, especially at that time, coming out of the Vietnam War, uh-huh. militarism versus anti-militarism. And believe me, um, you know, I was a guy that got gassed and uh, uh, chased and beaten by the cops. Um, uh-huh. in Washington, D.C. Um, it was right up my alley in terms of my political point of view to show the, uh, to show, you know, the kind of uh, cruelty and uh, the machinations of the military mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So it, it kind of played right into that. It's interesting you say, Joe, about, you know, Roger Ebert. He gave the movie a bad review initially, and he's since changed his mind. But He did, yes, he did. It's not unusual, I, I think, with Day of the Dead, because I think maybe 10 or 15 years ago, if I asked the average genre fan what their favorite George Romero zombie movie was, more often than not, they would say Dawn, but I think more and more these days, people seem to be shifting towards day. Oh, you know, absolutely. I mean, it's funny that you bring it up. Last night, I I was at at, at my local uh, pub. Uh, We call it a bar here. You you, you guys call it a pub. Uh And I had to do a photo shoot for uh, Night of the Living Dead Origins, which is directed by uh, Zebediah DeSoto, which Mm -hmm. I hope you'll give the full mention to. Well, I was planning on it, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, okay, uh, because it's a retelling of the story. And I uh-huh. and, and I had my, my, my dog tags on. And mm-hmm. uh, after years of doing conventions, I have a huge following from military and police people. I don't know why. <laughs> yet, and yes, on the other hand, I do know why. Yeah. So, and, and the guy said, what, what unit were you in? And I was, I was like, uh, no, these, these, I had a photo shoot. These are props from a, a film I made. He said, well, what film was that? And I said, Day of the Dead. And he was a guy with a shaved head. Mm-hmm. And and he said, I said, oh my God, that's one of my my favorite. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh-huh. And um, you know, some somehow as anti-war as I really am personally, mm-hmm. yeah. that road has become somehow a voice. Shoot him in the head. Mm-hmm. Shoot him in the fucking head. What the fuck are we talking about? Shoot him in the fucking head. They're dead. They're dead, people. You know, Rhodes has, I, I don't know how much it has to do with, with the age of terrorism, but, you know, Rhodes' point of view, which mm-hmm. I don't agree with, at all, but I loved playing. Yeah, you know, Rhodes. Rhodes' point of view seems to have uh, attracted a lot of fans, and uh, that, that's great. And, you know, I really wish we could fucking sit down and have fucking Guinness together. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> I like your style, and I re- I really enjoy your rapport and repartee. Well, thank you, Joe. No, if I ever get back to the UK. I can look out for the news. If it ever looks like you're coming over to the UK, then I, I will take you up on that Guinness, Joe. Oh, no, absolutely. I, that would be wonderful. It's interesting you should... Uh, you're talking about Rhodes, who's a guy who you don't necessary you don't agree with his approach but you still got to perform this guy you've still got to give that performance right do you need to empathize with him at all to be able to or with any character really do you need to have any sort of empathy with them to be able to do it or can you just bring that performance anyway uh villainism is fairly easy to play uh-huh everybody likes the bad guy. Yeah. Name a film and you look for the villain and mm-hmm. usually, you know, it's the white hat versus the black hat. And yeah. um, it, it was very easy for me. I've been accused originally of going over the top and eating the scenery. Mm-hmm. But in retrospect now, you know, I try to think if I had to play Rhodes 
today, mm-hmm. how would I play him? What would I look like? I'd probably shave my head. Yeah. Uh, but but this was a completely different time. And so this is why I go back to Greek mythology. Yeah. These were all archetypal figures. Mm-hmm. Rhodes had his point of view. Sarah had her point of view. Laurie Cardell, God bless her soul. Yeah. Terry Alexander, the kind of Jamaican philosophy on life, had his point of view. John Amplis with the scientific and, and Richard Liberty, God bless his soul. Ralph, mm-hmm. Ralph Marrero, God bless his soul. Uh, we've lost a number of people over the years. Yeah. But the intriguing thing was which I think is the element of all great drama, is mm-hmm. the collision of point of views. Yeah. And George, I think, uh, articulated that wonderfully, mm-hmm. wonderfully, you know, given given the budgetary constraints yeah. and the backpedaling that had to be done because of budgetary cuts. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it, it was very easy for me to identify with the enemy. Yeah. As I said, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that went to D.C. and got chased and maced by the cops yeah. for marching in the streets of Boston and the, and the, the tactical squad, you know, coming down with the base and the gas and the clubs. Mm-hmm. Intellectually stimulating but viscerally as an actor to play to play a villain is always i think superior acting wise i'm not i'm not talking aesthetically i'm talking acting wise yeah to portray a villain is much easier than the task of playing a hero uh-huh and it kind of just uh it sat with me it sat with me. Good. Okay. So you played Rhodes, and he's became quite iconic over the years. You know, every, everyone who likes George Romero's not movies. enough, my friend. Not a fucking enough. And I and I want and I want to really put out there to uh-huh. to the fan base. If there's any young budding director out there, I'm still here. I yeah, am absolutely. still fucking here, man. And. Uh-huh. Uh, there's roles that Chris Walken plays, and there's roles Dennis Hopper plays, and you know, and I'm still here. I'm still on my feet, you know. Well, let's talk about a role that should have been yours, Joe. It's quite infamous now. The From Dust Till Dawn should have been your movie, oh, right? Oh God, uh, you know, you're breaking my fucking heart. Yeah, you're breaking my fucking heart. Uh-huh. In fact, I just saw Quentin about uh, six weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, because he bought a theater called the New Beverly Cinema. Mm-hmm. Oh, that I, I mentioned that earlier. And uh, when I came out here in '86, I got a call from Bob Kurtzman of KNB, which Bob is no longer involved with. It, it's basically uh, Greg Nicotero and and Howard Kurtzman now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry, not Howard Kurtzman, Howard, uh, whatever the fuck it is, you can look it up, Howard Berger. <laughs> Academy, won an Academy Award. Uh, okay. But when I moved out here in 86, I got a, I got a call from Bob Kurtzman. He said, uh, I've got the script, I'd like you to attach your name to it. 
and uh, mm-hmm. I was like, ah, you know, I'll attach my name to a fucking toilet bowl. <laughs> you know, and I said, what's the project? And he said, it's called From Dust Till Dawn. Basically, the premise was two fucking crazy brothers kidnap a family. And I'm like, yeah. okay, fine. I'm like, you yeah, know, great, wonderful. So, and, and, and actually, it's out there, and what really pisses me off is because it's out there on the internet, uh, mm-hmm. and the fans can look it up if they want to. It's the original trailer for the low-budget version, and there I am in the black suit, the white shirt, and the black tie. This is prior to Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. This is the Quentin Tarantino moment. It's become iconic for the 90s now, but you were the first one to wear it in the 90s, right? Absolutely. Well, you know what? That's what fucking devastates me. Because, Uh you know, had that film been shot in the low-budget version, my Mm. career... I mean, look what happened to Steve Buscemi after Reservoir Dogs. Quentin was generous enough and nice enough to give me a spot in Pulp Fiction, but uh, that's right. You know, that's a huge turning point. There's the Hollywood legend that says, you know, you walk on the set, you take a left, you get run right. over by a truck, you take a right, you run into a casting director that looks at you and says, you're just the person we're looking for. Uh-huh. And it's funny because I said to Rob, well, who wrote the film? And he goes, oh, this kid, this kid, he works in a video store. And I said, what's his name? And he said, Quentin Tarantino. And I said, oh, Paisano. I said, uh, an Italian. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, well, we're having a party next week. Why don't you come over and meet him? And I went over and I met him. And uh, yeah. you know there was all that Quentin energy who the fuck knew you know who the fuck knew but you know in retrospect uh, had that film been made as it was intentionally originally supposed to be made mm-hmm. the thing that we shot we shot it with Panavision and there I am with the fucking gun and the suit and I'm going and I you know I look at that and I go Jesus fucking Christ well it works I, I watched it yesterday and it, oh wow it really works. Well, you're yeah. really up in your work man yeah absolutely and I, I, I checked it out and I thought that that's a movie I would I would have watched and you suited the role and it's a shame yeah. Joe really is well what are you gonna do you know it's tough business but uh, the more and more I speak to you the more and more I know you have my phone number you know we'll continue the dialogue but I I, I just want to interject if you ever need anything or want anything or get to the state please feel free to call me I really like the rapport and the rhythm that we have well thank you Joe that that's you know to hear that from you that's a great honor for me so thank you very much I guess we need to talk about your you're actually going back to battle the Living Dead, right, Joe? In uh, Nice of the Living Dead Origins? Yeah, it's in the can. It's completely um, computer graphic, and I get to play Harry Cooper. That's a great piece of casting, Joe. I can totally see you. Well, yeah, part. yeah, and Tony Todd is, is reprising his role as Ben. 
which I, I'm not sure you're aware of. He was in the Savini remake, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm actually surprised at that, but I think it adds a great element to the genre fans. Uh-huh. And uh, the wonderfully poetic beauty of the situation is that Kyra Schoen from the original Night of the Living Dead, yeah. her father, or fucking father who has recently passed away played Harry Cooper. Wow. I have an extraordinary affection and love affair. I don't mean that in the pejorative sense. I mean that in the life sense. Kyra is an extraordinary, as is Judith O'Day, and as is Laurie Cardell. For some reason, George's women just kind of rise above the occasion, but Zebediah de Soto's has an incredibly apocalyptic view of uh-huh. this story. And again, it goes back to George. It's an homage. Uh, you know, of course, we all know about the fact of the public domain. Yeah, yeah. And all of that. But Zebediah has chosen to recreate the story in a different form. As I said, it's uh, it's all it's all digital. Uh-huh. So basically, all of us, Tony Todd, it's all voiceover work. And mm-hmm. actually, yesterday was the uh, first day that I saw some of the uh, results of the fucking of the work and you know it's like Monet bleeding really yeah and and you know I hate to say it because we're moving closer and closer to anatomically controlled performances whether it be be voiceover or whether it be CG work yeah you know and and it's tough as an actor but they've put together a great list of of the genre actors and um, it was uh, it was incredibly it was incredibly interesting in fact the last convention I did there was a theater company and I wish I could remember their names and I Uh can't because I would like to advertise them, had created a puppet show called Night of the (laughs) Living Dead. And it was the most exciting theatrical experience I've had in in like the last 10 years. I mean, these guys were just, I wouldn't even know where to begin to find them. Uh, I was in, Mm -hmm. I think it was a show I did in uh, in Milwaukee. But Uh these guys with this puppet show, a puppet show of Day of the Dead. I could not believe how startling it was in their execution. I mean, if you know anything about Kabuki theater or it was just, it was magnificent. And and again, it all goes back to George's story. Yeah, yeah. The thing was, is that, so then, you know, you have a puppet show and now you have Zebediah, who I think is going to be the next Orson Welles. Really? Yeah, that's my feeling. I think the guy's brilliant. Good, good. This recreation, of course, unfortunately, because the film went into public domain, 
it's yeah. allowed to be reproduced. And that's got to be a tough nut for George to swallow. Yeah. But, you know, thank God he's fine. He's in Canada. He's making his movies. And he's doing his thing. The fans are, are very protective of George's work, aren't they? We've had a couple of, re- you know, Day of the Dead remake the, the fans oh, don't really like and so oh, my on. God. Do you think they're going to like this one? Well, you know, that's really an interesting question because that cocksucker fucking Donaldson, <laughs> that motherfucker, mm-hmm. for the money they spent, you know, I like, I jokingly say that they, they didn't recast me in Day of the Dead because they wanted an actor with a smaller cock. <laughs> But I love Ving Rhames. I love Ving Rhames. Yeah. So for the amount of money they spent on Ving Rhames, and what's the broad near of? Oh, um... From American Beauty. Yeah, it was... Uh, I can't remember the name. I know the yeah. one you mean, though. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So they spent some fucking money on that movie. Mm-hmm. And it was really a piece of fucking shit. Yeah. I really enjoyed the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, uh-huh. I actually was like, okay, this is, um, you know, this is great, but the fucking, the, the remake of Day of the Dead, and it went, it went direct to video. I mean, it didn't even get a fucking feature release. Yeah, but you yeah. had to know that these two stars did not come fucking cheaply. And these uh-huh. cocksuckers didn't even offer me a fucking cameo. Yeah. You know, it is what it is when you get down to the level of business, uh-huh. you know, and greed. And, um, but, you know, the fans, uh, my input, my input has been, because I actually did not see the movie until about three months ago. Yeah. Because it was on cable. I had been asked, convention after convention, uh, you know, have you seen the remake? And I, I'm going, no, you know, but um, bona fortuna to uh, any actor that's working. And I wish them well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I always wish them well. But I finally saw it. And I was like, you know, what the fuck? It was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what what the fuck? I know. I, I would even say, though, Joe, Day of the Dead 2, that was even worse. That was a real piece of shit. So I wouldn't even waste your time on that one, you know? Wait, wait, wait. What are we talking about? There's another Day of the Dead? Well, you've got the remake, right? But then there yeah. was Day of the Dead 2 Contagium. No, I haven't seen that yet. I, I wouldn't even waste your time on that one, Joe. That's even worse. <laughs> That's good to know. But somebody made money, you know. Uh-huh. What are you going to do? But you think Living Dead Origins is in good hands. The, the fans might actually like this one, right? Yeah, because given the CG nature of, of the film mm-hmm. and and given the apocalyptic setting, Christmas Eve, New York City, 747, mm-hmm. overtaken by people that have turned, I think it's going to really rock and roll. Good, I think good. it's going to really rock and roll. Uh, and Zeb is, uh, as I said, I think Zeb is going to be the next. Orson Welles, I think, and it's an homage piece. I mean, when you yeah. when when you look at the title, Night of the of the Living Dead original. I was with Zeb yesterday. Uh, you know, okay. and is is such a phenomenal Romero fan mm-hmm. that he was able to uh, 
first of all, accrue the money to make the movie, yeah. which is the huge thing. But as always, it's going to be up to the genre fans to determine the success or failure, box office-wise, money-wise. That's a whole different thing. That's a completely different thing. But fundamentally, it comes down to the fan base. If the fans have a good response to it, that will tell the tale because the fans always tell the tale. Absolutely. The fans don't lie. So, Joe, have you actually kept up with George's new zombie movies? I loved Diary. I loved Land. I thought Land was, uh, you know, maybe because I, I sold Timeshare, <laughs> part of my living. I thought that the concept, unfortunately, it wasn't shot in Pittsburgh where originally he wanted it to be shot. But yeah. uh, if I had the money and the inclination, I would be out of this country in a fucking minute. I would be out of okay. this country in a minute. In a mm -hmm. fucking minute. We are so fucking backwards. Oh, really? And, well, just look at our healthcare situation and what's going on with that. Yeah, yeah. And I've spent time in European hospitals uh, because I spent a lot of time in Europe and I got fucking sick. Mm -hmm. uh, I got hit by a car, you know, when I was in Denmark. An ambulance picked me up. I had head to toe uh, x-rays. And, uh, you know, when I'm walking out of the hospital, I'm, I'm like, well, who do I pay? They, they looked at me like I was, a, you know, a fucking stranger mm -hmm. from another planet. And it was a good move. It's a good move with the George May. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. unfortunately, the only restriction that he really has is he has to make things pretty much Canadian based. Yeah. But, you know, what are you going to do? What are you mm -hmm. going to do? It took me a long time to watch Diary. Uh -huh. And when I watched Diary, I felt that George really went back to his gorilla filmmaking style of mise en scene and, you know, dealing with the internet and dealing with uh, especially that startling scene of the zombie mm -hmm. coming to life on camera, which I think is the first telling. I mean, in Night of the Living Dead, we saw the result. In Dawn and Day, we saw the results. But mm -hmm. I think that in Diary, we see a kind of first moment in time. Yeah. And that scene where the body, uh, the newscaster and the guy telling her, step away, step away. And, mm -hmm. and this body just you know, coming up off the gurney. Uh, you know, I really think that George George kind of went back to that uh, nucleus that motivated Night of the Living Dead. Uh -huh. Listen, Tom, please, do you have any more questions? No, I, I think we're good. I, I know you've got some more calls coming through, Joe, so I will uh, I'll let you take five. Once again, I want to thank my fan base. I want to thank uh, you, and I want to thank Geek Planet Online and the Gentleman's Grindhouse. Well, Joe, it, it was my honor. I, I'm a huge fan, and to be able to spend this time with you has been a, a really great pleasure for me, so thank you very much. Give me a holler. Give me a holler anytime you have my phone number. Not many people do. That's great, Joe. I, I really appreciate that, man. Absolutely, Ben. It's been great. Fans, I love you. I love you. And we love you too, Joe. Rest in peace, my friend.